is a dentist with too much time on his hands and too much recording equipment in his basement. Armed with an obsession to bring entertaining and informative content to the dental world in a way that's never been done before, I give you the Alan Mead Experience. Well, hello and welcome to the Alan Mead Experience. I'm your host, Alan Mead. I'm a dentist, a podcaster, and a sparkling water aficionado. I just had to run upstairs to refill my glass before we got going. My guest today, my co-host, uh, someone I met in person for the first time at the Voices of Dentistry meeting in, in Arizona in January, Dr. Chris Bowman. Chris, how are you doing? Hey, uh, Alan, I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing well. So <clears throat> Chris was, uh, Arizona was the first Voices of Dentistry you went to, right? You weren't there in Tennessee for the first time around? That's correct. Okay. Yeah, this was my first one. What did you think of the Voices of Dentistry? You know, I, I thought it was awesome, uh, you know, as a, as a, as a speaker and, you know, in that, in that world in dentistry, it was really nice to be in, uh, a conference where everybody was so positive. And I know you hear that sometimes about other conferences and there are, there are many conferences that are like that, but this was such an energetic conference. Uh, all the podcasters of course were there. Uh, people interested in podcasting were there, mm-hmm. and I think that draws and attracts dentists and dental people that are just like that had this energy, and uh, you could just feel it when you walked into the room. It was it was awesome. That was the energy of the first one too. The second one had it even more because it was bigger, and um, mm. and I think the weather was better also. But like I definitely I definitely felt that um, also. This it was really I mean it was great. It was I'm glad you came. We had a lot of people that hadn't been to the first one. It, um, the energy is, I'm not convinced that the energy, I think it's the podcast nerd stuff. I really do. I think because everyone, like everyone is kind of pointing in the same direction to some extent, like the poor meeting planner, she had no idea what she didn't know <laughs> what kind of people like she's done dental conventions like crazy. So she had no idea. I'm like, no, 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 these, this is a different group of people you'll have. They're a bunch of weirdos. Trust me. It's like, it's, it's going to be a weird, like for instance, the, the, the party we had the first night, you know, we have where we had the, you know, the the bar and and just lots of people just milling about it. No one left. Like usually, usually for the receptions, most people leave, go have dinner, whatever. Everyone stayed because right. because there's tons of people that were podcasting. So all we did the whole night was great. So no, it, was, it was an awesome event. I can't wait for next year. Yeah, it's I'm excited. Um, we're gonna have to start doing some planning here. We uh, <laughs> last year i will say this last year at this time we didn't have a venue so we're way ahead of the game just the fact that we have the same venue um, yeah you were smart to call it yeah i mean i wa- i remember at the time going man do we want to commit like that and now i'm like i wish we'd committed for five years because now we don't we don't have to think about it it's great <clears throat> yeah it was it was awesome so chris you do a lot of speaking tell tell the alan mead experience audience like what what's your typical talk on what what do people bring you in for typically well, I've I've got two things that that I speak about now nowadays. Uh, you know, since 2005, I've actually been speaking mostly on everything from communications to verbal skills to marketing and the practice. Um, I, I've gotten to where I speak mostly about what I call advanced dental communications or you know authentic dental communications with a heavy emphasis on what I call relational selling. And and I know that when you say the word selling or sell, half the dentists in the country freak out. But um, yeah, I, I think that's I, probably right to some extent. I I, I, yeah. I get it. And I always I always redefine selling 
immediately because I don't want to give it that connotation that we're talking about a push selling. It's it's more of a pull actually, um, where we 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 find out first what the patients want, what they're interested in, what they're concerned about, and then I've got a way of 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 avoiding selling treatment. I'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I focus actually. Uh, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but I focus on the patient's conditions and problems, and I spend probably 80% of my time, well, my team does actually, we spend about 80% of our time talking about that, but not until we've gathered from the patient what's important to them, what their motivations are, um, and more of the why as opposed to just I have, the I have a great question for you on that. Okay, sure. so patients, we could literally devolve into this for the entire episode, and it might happen that way, but first off, patients... In dental offices, I think in a lot of cases, I've heard a lot about that. When you try and get, when you ask the patient what their goals are for their teeth and what their goals, what what do you want from your your dental care and all that stuff? I think a lot of times, don't you feel like that's an over, patients are not expecting to be asked that. And and I'm not saying it's bad or good even. I'm just saying like, like as a patient, if if I went into my eye doctor's office and they asked me, what, what are what are your goals for your eyes? I feel like the goals for my eyes are pretty straightforward. I would like to see well and and not have troubles with my eyes. That seems like a, uh, you know, and when I feel like a lot of patients would say, well, I, um, I'd like to keep them. I'd like to be able to chew. Uh, and it, typically it, when you get into it is when they have jacked up teeth, when they, they don't like the way their teeth look that, you know, changing, changing the way they look, that's where they might actually have a goal. But I always felt like that was like, one of the, what, what are, you know, what are your goals? What do you want for your teeth? So right. knowing that that is not what you mean <laughs> when you say that, <laughs> explain what you mean by that. Now, when you when you find out, you want to find out what the patient really wants. Tell me, tell me about that. Yeah, sure. It's funny when you said when you were talking about eyes. The first thing I thought about is, well, some mornings I might want my eyes to be a little whiter. Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, I can. Yeah, that's fair. Some mornings it's a Saturday morning right now, so there might be some people that could relate. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, but back to your question. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, I don't necessarily go about it the same standard way that consultants have taught. Yeah, for exactly. Years. That, and that, and that know, is it, sort of the consultant thing that I'm sort of mocking a little bit. Exactly. So, you know, my team starts with a very simple question, which, which lets patients go in whatever direction they want to go. And it's, it's just tell me about your dental health. Mm-hmm. And that question allows the patient to, if they want to swing towards cosmetics, they could do that. If they want to talk about their past experiences, they can do that. If they want to say, I think I've got some cavities, they can do that. Now, we'll, we'll probably get there uh, through, through you know, taking photographs and doing those kinds of things. But, but there's a few questions that I like to answer to kind of set the stage or I like to ask, excuse me. And, and when I say I, I mean the team. Uh, you know, the first one is tell me about your dental health. Mm-hmm. If the patient launches into a story about something that happened, uh, you know, we like to say things like, you know, tell me more about that. Mm-hmm. You know, what happened then and, and what was that like for you? Mm-hmm. And I try to get the patients into their, I guess, emotional reaction to what happened if it was a negative thing or a positive thing. Mm-hmm. And then another question we move towards is, you know, what's most important to you in our dental office? What are the things that are going to be most important to you as a patient in our practice? That's a good question. I like that because that really – that allows them to tell them what the button you can push is. In other words, exactly. 
I like yeah. it. I like that you have early morning appointments. You realize that that is that's someone who's you know less worried about one thing, more worried about you know convenience and time, that sort of thing. Uh, right. I mean that's that is that is good actually. That is good, and that's that doesn't those questions don't seem weird to me as a potential patient. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, and that that's kind of where I've I've come from in the past 15 years or so with my communications is I I also call it plain language communication skills because. The more the more flowery and uh, elaborate you try to get with your communication, it might sound fancy to a bunch of dentists, mm-hmm. but it doesn't sound right or normal to a patient. So it's all about just speaking in plain language. Uh, you know, we do ask a future focus question. You know, if you you know if you if you were to think twenty thirty years out, you know, have you ever thought about that? Like, what would you like your teeth to be like? Now, I know that patients are going to say wider and straighter and, and I want to keep them, you know, they'll use those. And sometimes if we probe a little deeper and say, well, what else would you, would you like, you know, is there, you know, I think if we start with yes, no questions, we're often going to be met with, with no. Mm -hmm. Um, In other words, do you want your teeth to be straighter? Well, no, not really. I mean, (laughs) or do you, do you want them to be wider? Well, maybe, you know, you get a lot of kind of half-hearted answers when you ask yes, no questions. So we do try to move them into the future and thinking about, you know, what their dental health is going to be like. And we do preface that by saying, you know, this may sound like a weird question, but have you ever thought about what you might want your teeth to be like 20, 30 years from now? And and, and doing it that way, at least it kind of pre-frames the fact that it's going to sound like an odd question. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. But, um, you know, we, we do tap into that on a lot of patients. Some patients, as you know, are, are not going to be as forthcoming. Mm-hmm. Um, and And another question that we ask is, you know, if we if we recognize anything that doesn't look right, you know, how 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 bad would you like a dental problem to get before we begin to address it? Mm-hmm. And that sounds like a ridiculous question to a dentist. Mm-hmm. But to a patient, you know, it 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 does kind of frame where they are. There's a ton and, of patients that say, look, I don't want to do anything unless it hurts. That's and, right. and I mean, every dentist is like, "Oh, that's ter- horrible." It's horrible. But you know what? The bottom line is that you're, you don't have to be, you don't have to walk around their life. You know, that's the, that's the, that's the deal. I mean, there's a lot of people that have a lot of stuff on their plate that they, and frankly, spending time at the dental office is not, it's not something they're going to do. You know, actually, I would rather know that as a dentist. You know, because yeah. um, there's, t- I don't know, there's tons of patients like that that I've run into that that'll literally kind of spell it out for you in some ways. Well, that, that's important. That's an important point, Alan, because the 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 act of going to the dentist for most patients is actually perceived as a problem. It's it's a problem to go to the dentist. It's a problem to have to go to the dentist mm-hmm. to get dental work done. So, where I come from on that is, I want my patients to understand that the problems that they have in their mouth are bigger than the perceived problem of having to come into yeah, the that's dentist. A good point. Because they they'll avoid. That's why they make decisions that don't make sense mm-hmm. uh, because they perceive the problem of coming to the dentist, time, money, pain, convenience. They perceive that problem to be a bigger problem than getting, than, uh, than allowing their problem to, to continue to fester mm-hmm. <laughs> because they don't have any symptoms. So mm-hmm. that's the big, that's the big, you know, key for us is, is letting patients know early on that, and th- you know, there are some things that I feel we do have to tell them. And and one of those things is, you know, hey, did you realize that that dental problems could be pretty severe and have zero symptoms? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, 
you know, one of the, and there, a lot of dentists talk themselves into a trap by asking questions that we heard other doctors ask in dental school. And we just keep asking the same things. Mm-hmm. Like, are you having any problems? Mm-hmm. That's the worst question we could ask a patient because they're going to say no. They're going to say, no, I'm not having any problems. And then we go in there and we go find a bunch of problems. And now we're immediately in conflict with the patient. And and we have to convince them. That it's what an interesting. They it's interesting. You're, I, I mean, it's the other thing is is that a dental exam, oh, a dental exam from a patient standpoint is oh he's going to look in my mouth and see what's wrong and then tell me what's wrong. I hope nothing's wrong. You know, like, exactly. Like that's that's it's kind of it seems backwards to me um, in a lot of ways, and that's one of the reasons that I do the way I do is I, I mean, I have, they're looking at what I'm examining while I'm examining it. Cause I got, I've got a microscope and I've got the video literally on the ceiling. So they're watching it. So in a way I've always said, you know, I don't have to be credible. Like my story doesn't have to be credible because they're seeing what I'm seeing and I can actually explain what I'm seeing. Um, absolutely. Which is, which is great. And that does make it so it's not a conflict. Because the patient, the patient's holding on to that. I'm not having any problems. You're exactly right. I mean, like, like the patient probably is. I mean, they're not having any symptoms, and maybe they're not having any problems. Who knows? But the fact that they're saying no and you're saying yes, that's all. I agree. It's automatically a problem, and and it it becomes almost a a confrontation point, right? Absolutely. And and in the interest of being non-confrontational, that's that's my whole point. Is I want to make sure that the entire process for our patients is non-confrontational. And where I get my satisfaction as a communicator is when I can walk out of a, of a treatment room after discussing things with a patient and they can understand that they have problems and that they have issues that need to be dealt with some urgently. And they still thank me and they still say that it was a great experience to be in my office. And, and we use photographs, mm-hmm. uh, digital photographs and, and with a 42 inch monitor in our treatment rooms. And I call my camera, my trust machine. Mm-hmm. And I tell patients that and I'm like, this is my trust machine. So establishing early on that, Hey, did you realize you could have pretty significant dental problems, but have no symptoms. And that leads me to another point is that Another question we ask patients often is, is anything bothering you? Mm-hmm. And patients will say it because they've been trained by other dentists to think the way they think. So, so they, they might say, like, I'm not having any problems. And one thing that I'll kind of jokingly say to a patient, you know, it's funny you say that because you could actually, you could actually have problems without having problems. Mm-hmm. Or something could be bothering you without bothering you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I try to distinguish between the symptoms that they feel and, and the signs and symptoms that we see. And that's where the camera comes in for you, the video. But, but yeah, they have to well, be talk able to me a little bit about, things. okay. So it, what is funny too, is that where do you have these conversations? Are they in a dental chair? Like, I'm, I'm curious how your intake works because like, I find, um, I find it much more disarming to like, like, yeah, they're watching what I'm doing with the exam, but I found myself over time doing this whole microscope thing it's actually when when a patient has more than you know when they're when their stuff is more complex than you know a couple cavities or something like that i actually like to bring them into we we go into my break room which is funny it's like it's where the it's where the team eats lunch but it's the homiest room it also has a gigantic television connected to the computer network and Mm, so i'll yeah i can pull up their x-rays any photos and then that video and I can just kind of show it to them and literally we're both sitting in front of this gigantic monitor which is looking at it and I feel like 
when they're not laying back in the dental chair or sitting up in the dental chair where there's this definite, I'm the doctor and you're the patient thing going on. I feel like I can talk more like a regular human being when I'm sitting next to them, like at the, you know, in front of this monitor. I don't know. It's weird. It's because, and and maybe it's just like the, the history of doctor versus patient stuff. And, you know, and over the last, you know, what, 50, 80 years, that's the, the dentist has been put up on this pedestal as being the, the one in charge where I don't really want to be in charge at all. I want them to go, oh my God, what is that? What can we do about that? That's the best. Then you don't have to do anything. There's no there's no effort involved with getting the patient on board with treatment because they they are seeing it and bringing it up themselves. So I do kind of like that. I'm wondering where where do you do most of your consultation stuff? Where is your large monitor? Is it is it in a is it in the treatment room or is it in the um is it in the same room that you would give them shots and drill on their teeth? That's the question. Yeah, it actually is, Alan. And and one thing we're getting ready to do in my office is we're we're actually going to renovate part of the office and and create the the coveted consultation room that I've never had in mm-hmm. twenty two years. So, well, you know, <laughs> but consult con- rooms are funny, right? Like they like dentists have this really visceral love hate thing with the consult room. Some yeah. people say, oh, it's the worst thing you could ever do. It's terrible. And then there are some people who go, I can't, I can't practice without one. You know, and and so. <laughs> I'm stuck in the middle because I'm. I mean, it's our lunchroom, man. It's it, it, mind you, yeah. it's a pretty nice lunchroom, but it's it's our lunchroom right now. And I actually have another place I could do it, but I kind of like the lunchroom because it's sort of got that. It's almost got that blue collar. Let's get down to business sort of sort of feel to it, you know. And, and plus, they can have a cup of coffee, and we can actually discuss things like a human being. But yeah. it is it's interesting though that like there, this seems like a visceral thing to a lot of dentists. Either they love it or they hate the concept. And have you noticed that? Yeah, I have, and and I've kind of been torn between the thing because for 22 years I've I've done quite well mm-hmm. doing this in the treatment room. One mm-hmm. thing that's cool about your idea and your your practice in in the break room is that it does give the patients that that behind the curtain feeling, mm-hmm. like uh, it's almost like they're going backstage in your practice, you know. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's a cool thing. Like when you can go to a concert and go backstage with the that's performer. That's a good point. I hadn't thought of it that way, but yeah. Oh yeah, it's that's an inside scoop, you know, that they get to see part of the office that most people don't get to see. I'm I'm a big psychology guy, and 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 that's a that that's a that's an exclusivity thing. Uh, I've got a few. Pa- it's funny that that you mentioned that because I've got a few patients. Just a handful, probably about ten or twelve. I guess that'd be two handfuls. And uh, <laughs> they, uh, they literally, they when they leave the practice, they walk out the back door. And, yeah. and we, our parking lot is behind the practice, and we've got about, like I said, ten or twelve patients, not many, out of however many I have. And they literally walk out the back door when they leave the practice. And it's because one day we had a long appointment with that patient or whatever, maybe it was the very end of the day. And I would say, you know, you want to go out the back because your car's right back there and you don't have to go around the building. And, and like, yeah, I'd love to do that. So a few of them just do it naturally. Now. Mm-hmm. And I love that because, and some, some doctors go, oh, they shouldn't go through the back of the office. Cause it's, you know, it, that's the worst looking part of the office. Like, no, it Bring is it on, the worst man. Yeah. The office, but they get to go backstage and, and they get that special feeling of that's a VIP type of feeling where they get to go in through the back door or come, go out through the back door. That's, and, I hadn't thought of it that way, but it is kind of it's exactly right. And, and it is like it's the um, and, and I have to say our break room, our, our our office is almost built around this break room. It's kind of crazy. It's I, I'm convinced that this was probably this was a doctor's office, like a physician's office. And I'm certain that this was the dentist's office. 
back in the day. Like it's literally a pat. It's it's maybe the biggest single room outside of the the reception area in the place. And I'm like, I'm not having that big of an office. I don't need that. That that there's too much counter space for me to put crap on. So I need something small. So my office is actually like the tiny little. Um, closet basically off the back of our lab sterilization area and we just have the big break room so it it worked out it worked out well we didn't remodel we didn't knock out too many walls to make that different but um i do i feel like i feel like that's i like that i like the backstage aspect i hadn't thought of it that way no i think it's i think that's uh that's effective and um you know with with back to our you know our practice um in the treatment rooms doing it in the treatment rooms i think that one thing that we work really hard to do with patients, and I know most dental offices do this, is we really try to work hard to make them comfortable, as comfortable as possible. I, we do show them photographs of their teeth mm-hmm. while they're sitting up. We mm-hmm. don't do it while they're lying back, and mm-hmm. that's why our monitor is in front of the chair instead of above the chair. And I, I like both ideas, but we, you know, we, we have those conversations early my hygienist will have a conversation with a patient, with a new patient, mm-hmm. about their dental problems before she even picks up a scaler. Mm-hmm. That's a rule in our practice. If it's a dental assistant with a new patient, same thing. They can't do any treatment until they've set the patient up and shown them. Uh, I call it recognition. I don't call it diagnosing, but I call it recognizing problems. Mm-hmm. And and they recognize what's going on, and they say, you know, would you mind if I share with you what I see? And we get their permission. So by the time I come in the room. Most most of the things that they're going to hear from me are are essentially a repeat of what they heard from the team member, and and that is very very effective because I become the second opinion mm-hmm. in my own office, and and I also as the authority figure in the office as the doctor, you know my team members are all dental experts mm-hmm. and I, I position them that way, but but when I come in as the second opinion in my own practice, plus I'm the authority figure, I'm confirming what they found which is very valuable. And because the patient found out early in the appointment, a lot of what's going on, and they may not know everything, but they know a lot. Mm-hmm. And when I come in and go, you know, how was your experience? My first question for every new patient was when I come in is how's your experience been so far? Mm-hmm. And I, I really want them. And almost every single time they go, that was great. Mm-hmm. And I might make a little joke that I'm not going to mess it up or something like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. But- I'll try and I'll try and keep it up. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We set the bar high, you know. So, but but I sit down and I share with them what I'm seeing and and I focus on the issues and and where they're headed. But then I try to take the pressure off the patient by for for most patients whenever we can. I try to take the pressure off of them by saying, "Okay, look, you know, there are some, let's suppose there's a lot of problems. Let's suppose there's, mm-hmm. there's you know, old amalgams in every quadrant and so on." And I'll say, "Look, you know, there there are a lot of issues that that we need to deal with here. However, I think the first place we should start is right here. So, for example, if it's if it's periodontal disease or if it's maybe a quadrant of dentistry where there's one tooth that's got a broken filling or, or something, whatever that immediate, urgent first thing is, I like to kind of get them there mentally and, and almost release them from the feeling that they're obligated to do every single thing mm-hmm. after the first visit. So I, I call that the big gloss over, which is a – very unprofessional sounding term, but, but I, I kind of gloss over what I'm seeing with the patient, you know, Hey Alan, you know, you got a lot of old fillings here and, and they're breaking down and wearing down. And I see some wear on your teeth as well. That concerns me. And you've got some early periodontal disease and you know, there, there are some things to deal with. However, 
where I think we should start for you is, is by getting your gums healthy. Mm-hmm. And then we'll go back and revisit those other things later. How does that sound? You know, it's really it, funny. It, I, I do that. I unconsciously, I, I think I do that because, um, I, I actually do that almost exactly the way you describe it, where like we've got some stuff we have to deal with. I think we should start here. That that works well because it also allows them to focus on one thing. It also allows you to give them a great experience about some stuff. And then when you yep. come back later and kind of propose more, they know you're going to, but they also realize that, okay, so he's already done this well for me and I'm, you know, that sort of thing. The other thing, yes. I, the other thing I like, I get very explicit with them. I say, you know, here's the deal. Um, as a doctor, I got to show you everything. I got to tell you everything that I'm seeing. But yep. you as a patient can do all of it, none of it, some of it. It doesn't matter to me. I'm okay with any of that. I'm just glad you're here. But, like, I got to I gotta let you know what's happening. That's kind of part of the deal. And they, they definitely get that. It sort of splits my role with them as, like, the person who sees the stuff and then the person who does the stuff a little bit. And that that's pretty powerful. I think a lot of yep. patients realize you're literally handing – you know, handing the the power back to them, saying you can do all of it, none of it, some of it. I'm okay with it. You know, like, and that is, I think that's a disarming thing too. Yeah, absolutely. And and while you're saying that, I I wrote down the word need mm-hmm. on my on my notes because that's one word that I just don't use in my practice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't use the word need. You know, and and I I often use the analogy of the you know if it's a patient that has a lot of dental problems, I'll I'll use the analogy of of being at a fork in the road, you know, on the, and I'll actually use this term on the highway to dental hell versus mm-hmm. the highway to dental heaven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the highway to dental hell has no toll booth right now. Mm-hmm. But when you get a little farther down the road, I'm not sure when it'll be, but, but there are some toll booths that'll just pop up out of mm-hmm. nowhere mm-hmm. and they're going to be big ones, but the highway to dental heaven has a toll booth now. And th- this is not a new patient conversation at the first visit necessarily, mm-hmm. but maybe a little later, but, um, you know, the, you you pay the toll now, but you got smooth sailing on that highway for years. I like that. I like that. It's because and, it sort of it sort of allows them to the. There's more toll booths on the highway to hell for sure. Yeah, it's, and you don't know where they're going to be. Yeah. They're just going to show up. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and, and almost like a like a like police blocking the highway, and you didn't intend yeah. on that to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I try to paint pictures for them, and and now I'm, I'm a big analogy guy. Uh, whatever can relate to them to, to put things in perspective, but also to let them know, like you said, and I love that, that they're in control mm-hmm. and, and I, and I don't want them to think that I think that I'm in control. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I'm that's, just, that's, that's it right there. What you just said, that's the story they need to, they need to, they need to know that they're in control. Like, and I think that some people, you know what in medicine, okay, I'm going to sw- in medicine. If you've had anything done in medicine, you yeah. don't have you have zero control over anything that's going on there. Like and right. and they and and everyone knows it, you know. This is not and, and on top of it like they don't ask you to have any skin in the game. They don't ask you whether or not you want to do the treatment. They don't ask you they just you know I don't know. And I'm thinking more of hospital. Maybe 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 like a family physician has a better talk with you about something like that. Gives you some options. But I'm talking like you know, my best friend had his gallbladder out and he's like there was no informed consent of about anything. There was nothing. It was right. you're having surgery. They didn't talk about money. They didn't talk about how much it was going to cost him out of pocket. They didn't talk about nothing was discussed like that at all. They didn't talk about potential complications. They basically just 
uh, actually, they didn't even do a physical. They were supposed to do a physical. They didn't even do a physical. And like right. that's in in the story is it's like because there's so much distance in paperwork and insurance and in everything between the physician and the patient that it can't like the patient's barely involved except you know uh, you know it's their body but other than that they're not really involved with the product the the what happens whereas you and I what you and I are talking about is saying they're completely involved it's all their choice you know it's 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 right. a it's a real different like a like a vastly different process yeah yeah it's amazing we went to um uh the urgent care a few weeks ago my daughter who's 11 she rides horses mm-hmm. and she fell off a horse mm-hmm. and and uh you know she does some some show jumping and and she fell off her horse she got a full size horse mm-hmm. and she hit her head she fell on her back apparently and 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 you know hit the back of her head she had her helmet on and everything but she she wasn't feeling that great and we took her into urgent care and the doctor there didn't really you know didn't really have anything horrible to say, but did say as a precaution, it would be a good idea to get her examined in the ER. Mm-hmm. And then that way, if she needs a, a scan, she could get a scan. And and my wife was with her at the uh, urgent care. And by the way, just to let you know, we have a medical cost sharing service. I don't have traditional insurance. Mm-hmm. I've got mm-hmm. I've got a, a cost sharing. It's called Christian Healthcare Ministries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a plug, by the way, but anyway, they're great. So anyway, we're there. Or my wife is there, and I'm on the phone with her, and I could hear the the receptionist at the medical office saying, saying we're going to send her. We're going to send her by ambulance mm-hmm. to the to the uh, ER. Now my daughter is totally lucid, mm-hmm. completely, con- I mean, not unconscious at all, not even feeling weird, not out of balance, anything. And my, I heard her say, I heard the lady say that. And I said, no, 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 Elizabeth, you take her to the ER because you can leave right now. You'll be there in 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. By the time we wait on an ambulance to get there, it'll be 30 minutes. Well, and the and added, the added no. cost is, is ridiculous, and that will be oh. passed on to you. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. for, I mean, it's one thing when you've, you know, when you've got a, a, you know, a fence post sticking through your body. It's another right. thing when, I mean, yeah, I totally get it. Yeah, my son, my son had the same thing happen. About a year and a half ago, it was a different issue, and we went to the urgent care, and they said, no, you need to go to the ER, and we didn't know any better, and they said, we need to bring him – they said, need. We need to bring him by ambulance, mm-hmm. and we had – and my wife was with him again. Had to wait 15, 20 minutes for the ambulance mm-hmm. and then brought him in, mm-hmm. and he got his care. So I said this time, no way, and it cost us $1,200 yeah, for a yeah. four-and-a-half-mile trip. Yeah, totally. Like, this is stupid. Yeah. And, and my wife got into this argument with this lady about no, no, we need to make sure you know we need to have him, her brought by Emma. No, you don't need to do this. This is our daughter. We're going to take her, and uh, and I, I just said just just leave with Olivia. So anyway, they said well, we need to call the ER to make sure she's there. And, and I said, well, you this guys sounds like this ER sounds like they're covering their ass, is what it sounds like to me. Absolutely, Anyhow, they're is, covering their legal butt. I've kind of got no time for that either. Yeah, yeah. So I said, you guys can call all the people you want, but we're bringing our daughter. And if she needs a scan, she'll get there 15, 20 minutes earlier. Yeah. So why would we not do that? <laughs> so, so then so then the, the, the two-hour wait for the scan to be ready to go will be just that much shorter. Then that's the, yeah, it won't be. Uh, I, guess, I guess one of the things that bugs me, and this is kind of where I wanted to go with you. Um, I'm bothered by the fact that um, dentistry – okay, so – so this, I, I don't want it to seem like a conservative political thing because it because it isn't really if you think about it. But 
right now, healthcare, and I mean, you're you're basically. I already know where you're coming from. If you're if you're using the the cost sharing program instead of traditional insurance, my my insurance, my health insurance is insanely expensive. It's two thousand dollars a month for for yeah. my family, and it's it's unusable. It's unusable. Our deductible is so high that you know you you'd literally need something tragic before it was going to kick in for anything. Okay, right. Um, right. It, it's I'm paying so much that in in. Part of it is what my wife wanted to make sure we had coverage for without really realizing that it doesn't matter what you have coverage for if, if the, the deductible is so high. That's what they wanted in the first place when all this – they want high deductibles on, on you know, middle-class people so they will choose not to have health care. That is – I mean, that's the obvious – I don't see anything any way around that. When the deductibles did what they did, that's what they want. They want less right. – they want, they want less people. But – but the problem is, is that in in doing so, so that my two thousand dollars is clearly going to subsidize people who are who have less means. I mean, that's and, and I guess that's fine. We never really had the conversation about that when all these laws are being passed. But I guess that's fine. But but a, I'm not going to continue to pay it. Like right. I'm not going to continue to pay that. There's going to have to be some kind of change with that. But but b, um, there is no relationship between me, like like physicians. This has been a huge complaint of mine forever. Physicians never talk about money. They never talk about what stuff's going to cost. They just do right. it. Like there's, yeah. and and yet in the dental office, we're so like like if you don't spell it out, patients will flip out on you because because the reality is is what they really want is just like at their doctor's office where no one talks about any money at all, and then. You know, the only time that they're going to write a check is after you've hounded them for four months and are looking for collections at this point, because that's that's just how medical works anymore. You know, like, yeah, and I'm so tired of it. Uh, this is this is the, the sickest thing. OK, so you and I have talked a little bit about what fee for service dentistry is and how how that's something that we you know, there's an aspiration of a lot of a lot of uh, dentists to to be fee for service and and. Mm. I just I looked this up before we started going. Let me see if I can find it. I looked it up on Wikipedia, um, just as a definition, and it's 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 really interesting. So fee for service is a payment model where services are unbundled and paid for separately. In healthcare, it gives an incentive for physicians to provide more treatments because payment is dependent on quality of quantity of care rather than quality of care. And I'm just like. Really? That's, that's what you got out of it? However, evidence of the effectiveness for pay for performance in improving healthcare quality is mixed, without conclusive proof that these programs either succeed or fail. Similarly, when patients are shielded from paying cost sharing by health insurance coverage, they are incentivized to welcome any medical service that might do some good. Fee for They go on to basically talk about how horrible fee for service is. So clearly, this Wikipedia article has yeah. kind of kind of a lean. But but what's interesting is that. What I like about the concept of fee for service is that there's a transparency between the doctor and the patient or the team and the patient. Right. Like like no one in my office is surprised by what things cost. As it turns out, I'm fee for service. By 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 most standards, I participate with one insurance, it's Delta Premier. That's the only that's the only insurance that that I that I write off anything on when I when Me I too. that's so what's interesting is when you said that I'm like wait a second so I'm free for service and I'm not bragging about that like I should be but the the reality is is that that like my area is so insurance dependent there's so many people that are so so insurance dependent and what what bothers me about all of this is the difference between dentistry and medicine I'm really getting in a soapbox I will give you a chance to talk in a second 
Um, <laughs> well, the difference is in medicine, they're going to do whatever they decide needs to be done. And your insurance is going to cover a certain amount and you're going to pay a certain amount. And that's what it is. In dentistry, they're not, you're limited. If you have insurance, you, and if you have insurance and you are going to allow the insurance to limit the amount that you're going to pay, for instance, if you're going to say, I'll do what the insurance does and I'll pay my part of it, that's fine. That's X dollars that will be paid any given year on dental, dental needs. And so a third party is telling you this is the most that you should pay for dentistry in a year, even though it has zero to do with anyone's condition. And, and I mean, to say that to a patient seems like, oh, you're just in it for the money. But the reality is, is like, look, <laughs> the dental insurance doesn't, they don't care what your dental condition is at all. They do not care. They, what no. they care about is they don't want to spend more than, they don't want to lose too much money on you. Like they don't, right. they make a lot of money because most people don't even take advantage of their benefits at all. But what they, they certainly don't want to lose any, too much on any one person. Then right. people don't realize that that's what insurance is kind of about. It's about limiting. It's not just about limiting an individual's cost. It's about limiting their costs. Okay, but the individual looks at it and says, "Well, if my insurance is, you know, if I have this much insurance, clearly I shouldn't have to pay any more than this." It's logical, and it's because medical insurance is that way. And I'm right. so. How do you? So knowing that this is the case, a lot of us have become sort of masters of phasing treatment over time instead of doing. Maybe what's you know doing more treatment at once than we we would if we had our druthers, right? So yeah. what do you th- what do you think about all this stuff as I throw this out here? Because this is my biggest beef with with you know the difference between free when talking about fee for service and not. Yeah, you know it, it's funny. I, real quick story, if I may, about my physician. Uh, several years please, ago, please. he was at a he was at a major medical group and and a typical medical practice with a lot of doctors. And I went in, and I had had pneumonia several years before, only one time in my life I had pneumonia. So I went in and I had some symptoms that I thought could be the precursor to pneumonia. And I went in and I said, "Hey, could I have a um, could I have a chest X-ray?" And uh, and 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 they said, "Sure." And and I said, "Oh wait, how much is it?" And the doctor looked at me. And he just, I mean, he looked like he, he was just stunned. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I, he had, first off, he has, he has no idea. He, he really no has idea. no idea. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, just because I'm self-pay, I, I'm, I just need to know. And uh, I still want it. I just need to know. So anyway, they finally figured it out after probably going through about three or four people. I love that. And yeah. And so, so anyway, the same doctor, this is the same doctor about two years ago, left that practice and went to a concierge medicine practice, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. one of the signature healthcare. And, um, and I actually ran into him and, and he remembered, it was so funny. I ran into him like at a Starbucks and it's, Oh, Hey, and he goes, Hey, I'm over here at this other practice now. And I said, okay, great. Cause I, I need to get in for a physical. Cause like every man, I go about once every four years. Yeah, right? when, so, yeah, so, <laughs> and, and also when I'm bleeding profusely, that's the other time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I, and it's funny that when I, when I was getting ready to, to, to leave, he said, Oh, and by the way, he goes, I know how much a chest X-ray is now. <laughs> I just laughed because he remembered that from a couple years before, and and he does, and he knows his fees now, and he knows what how much it costs to do business because they're in a different model. They are in a fee for service medicine model mm-hmm, now, mm-hmm. and um, so you know, for us, I try to make sure that that our patients understand their their insurance and what it doesn't do. And we speak about insurance to patients. All of my team members are trained to do this. We speak about their insurance in terms of its limitations and restrictions, mm-hmm. not in terms of benefits. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, 
we I believe that the insurance companies in the industry created this vocabulary that they have for mm-hmm. a purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, they they have conventions too, and they have like really smart people that get up on stage and talk at those conventions, and they they've got consultants that are more expensive than any dental consultant ever mm-hmm. could think about. So they've got strategies and they're way ahead of us. So you know the the terms benefits cover. I mean, they don't cover anything. Yeah. They just help pay for. So. So we tell patients, hey, your insurance companies, your insurance is going to help pay for some of your dental care, uh, but only up to a limit. And we we try to frame it in a way that makes sure that they they know what the limitations are. And we also let them know that hey, if they need a lot of dental work, you know the 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 amount of benefit or the amount of copayment they may get in a year is about the same as the as the out of pocket cost of of one root canal mm-hmm. or or one crown and build up or something like that. So we try to put it in perspective that the cost of waiting often isn't worth it. Totally. Uh, the co- getting it done now will pay off later. And again, that's that could be a longer discussion, but we try to frame the insurance in a way that, hey, look, let's take advantage of, of what you have available, but let's also make sure you understand the limitations and restrictions that you have. Yeah. Because, because they're going to uh, they may they may limit your they may try to limit your choices. That's another key phrase that I use with patients. Your insurance company will often try to limit your choices. That's a and that's that is a that's a powerful way to put it for sure. For sure, yeah, because nobody wants that taken away from them. Yeah, I mean, totally. And again, we're all about letting our patients know: Hey, you have the choice. You have the choice to come here. You have the choice to decide to move forward with dental care or not. And and you have the choice to choose which dental care you want. We recommend, you know, we recommend this over this, and your your dental insurance company may try to limit those choices for you by, you know, allowing greater benefits for a lesser procedure. I got to tell you a story about about uh, um, the way that dental insurance and actually even state state actors in this in this space uh, have created verbiage created. Um, wording of things that is so dishonest. Okay. So a couple things. First off, what I've found is that when you, when you rate well in the, the Google three pack, that's always a great thing. You know, you want to be in your, if you're, if you're at, you know, top in your area, you're going to get a lot more calls because you're in the Google three pack and there's lots of ways to get that. Reviews are obviously a big deal, but I mean, there's a lot of different ways to do it. It's great, but (sighs) you don't get to control where you rate well in the three pack. Like, like if you rate well, Saginaw Dentist, I rate pretty well in the three pack, at least right now. I also rate really well in Saginaw Medicaid Dentist in the three pack. I don't, I don't participate with Medicaid, but I still rate really well. So we get, we get calls on top of calls on top of calls every, every week for, do you take Medicaid? And, and it's really bordering on evil because what happens is these a lot of these programs that are they are Medicaid they're state funded they they literally are paid for by the state and they're huge you know huge cut rate uh, you know they they basically pay pennies on the dollar understood like anyone who's dealt with Medicaid kind of understands that and I have to say different states are different my understanding is there's some some states that it, it might make sense for some offices to take a look at this it really doesn't for us but they but they're administered by other insurance companies so these mm. people come in with a card that says Delta Dental. Or says Meridia, or says these different names. These people believe that they have dental insurance when, in reality, they have. I mean, I guess technically it's dental insurance, but it's Medicaid. I mean, they're it's a. So that's to me, that's a huge lie. That's 
that's they're, that that is they're trying to make it so I guess it's maybe less shameful that someone is on a state program or whatever, which I, I guess I can see the point of that. But but these people come in thinking that they have dental insurance in in right. reality. You know, we don't participate with with that insurance. I literally had a conversation with a guy on email, he emailed and I emailed right back. And and this poor guy didn't even realize he had Medicaid. You know, on the other hand, if he's not paying premiums, he probably should understand that he has Medicaid. But whatever. Right. <laughs> um, I, I it's frustrating to me that that like <laughs> I don't know. I'm I don't know if it makes sense to try and to try and get the the problem is that even an office that like when I think of fee for service in my brain, I actually tend to think of cash office. Mm-hmm. I don't. I think a lot of people. I think that's wrong. Like I, I would you would you would say. Just as I'm gonna, we're going to wrap it up here, but like f- to you, fee for service doesn't mean cash only. Fee for service means describe to you what a fee for service office in in 2018 looks like to you. Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. And it's a very probably a 45 minute. It's probably a, a, an entire podcast <clears throat> on its own. But I'd I'd love to just hear yeah. your very short answer. Yeah, I'll try to be quick. the 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 concept of you know. And it goes back to, do you accept insurance? You know, that's a loaded question because it means different things to different people. Exactly. So, yeah. So I believe that I believe that accepting insurance benefits from an insurance company is a customer service issue. Mm-hmm. I believe that, that's just my belief and, and others disagree with that. That's fine. But but also, on the other hand, I also believe that I should be the only one that sets my fees for my services. Mm-hmm. So fee for service to me means I pick my fee for my service mm-hmm. and and. And patients, uh, or excuse me, uh, insurance companies uh, should not artificially lower those fees to serve their own best interest. Now, you and I both have a concession on that one, and that's Delta Premier, mm-hmm. because we've both made a decision that that we can that we can stomach that one. Mm-hmm. Um, all the other ones, I can't stomach, and I've actually been tempted recently to drop Delta Premier. Oh, man, brother. Well, yeah. the the argue, the best argument I've heard lately is if you go to sell your practice. To someone who's who's a little younger than you, or yep. someone who's not already accepted in the in the premier program, and, and let's be honest, there's not many left. Uh, right. all, your the value of those patients goes down significantly yep. to that new purchaser. I didn't, I never put that, I never really put two and two together on this. Very frustrating. Yeah, and that's the only reason, Alan, why I'm keeping it because because and also my perspective on on PPOs is different. Uh, and I think I I've mentioned this to you before, is that. I, I like to view Delta Premier as a way to top off my practice, mm-hmm. not as a way to fill my practice. So mm-hmm. I literally know today that 19% of our patients are Delta Premier patients. Mm-hmm. So so that's that's the the last 20%, I'll call it. Mm-hmm. And again, that's no offense to those people, but, but that's the way I view it. So fee-for-service to me means I charge the fee, I choose the fee, and my patients pay the fee. We can still accept payment from the insurance company mm-hmm. as a, a means of, you know, allowing them to get some assistance on that. But at the same time, I'm not going to let the insurance company dictate my fees that's for me. That's exactly where I am, too. Yeah, and that's how I feel about that. So, um, you know, it's funny. I can't go to a patient and say – and I've joked with patients about this before when they make the comment to me about, well, you know, my insurance company said you charge too much. We don't hear that very often because we – I believe that we establish ourselves with the patient from the beginning. Mm-hmm. We don't hear it often, but occasionally we might hear that. And, and you know, one of my comebacks to that would be, you know what? I, I totally understand what you're saying. I really feel in my heart that the premiums that you pay for your dental insurance are way too high. Yeah, I seriously. think 
I think you're paying way too much for your dental insurance because when you break it down, your profit is about five or six hundred dollars a year. Yeah. So so but the problem is I can't control what your insurance company charges you. And the patient looks at me and goes, Oh yeah. And I'm like, Well, you know, I don't think that the insurance company should control what I charge you. Mm-hmm. And and I have no problem saying that to a patient, but I can't control what they charge. Yeah. And they shouldn't control what I charge because they don't know how much my cotton rolls are. Yeah, you know? That's so, right. uh, and also we don't, I don't know any dentists. Well, maybe, maybe one, I don't know any dentists that own a tall building, you know, <laughs> and insurance companies all have tall buildings. Yeah. They all and, seem to have tall buildings. That's interesting. Yeah. And none of that, I mean, none of those bricks and windows go into anyone's mouth. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's the deal. They've got shareholders to please and, and none of that goes into their mouths either. So, you know, like with our in-house program, that's one of the biggest arguments for an in-house membership program yeah, yeah. is that 100% of the, of the, of the money you invest goes to your dental care. Yep. 100%. And, oh, I and, never thought about that. That's a really good, that's a really good selling point. Yeah. And, they, and you know, we, we've got, now we've got small business owners here in Charlotte that are patients of mine that are now, some of them are signing up their, their employees See, that's, with us. That's, wouldn't you love to have an office full of that? Oh my gosh. Chris, I'm cutting you short because we, we clearly need to do part two and probably part three and part four on this, but <laughs> this was really good. This was really good. And, and I, I sort of got a little stuff off my chest there in the middle. I kind of needed to. So you know, it feels good to do that. Right? Yeah, it does. <laughs> well, thank you so much for talking with me. We'll have you on again for sure. I think we'll probably have you in the dental hacks. I think we're working that out too. So, but uh, thanks for talking with me and we will talk to you again very soon. Alan, absolute pleasure. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening, you guys. And uh, hey, if you want to get in on the on the action, we have a really cool small Facebook group. Uh, just go to Facebook and look up the Alan Mead Experience. Uh, the password is Premier and also Cosmodent. Either one of those passwords will work. We'll let you in. A lot of good conversation there. A little smaller, safer group. But again, thanks for listening to the show. Tell a friend, and we'll talk to you next week.